Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. Morning, guys. What's up? Glad everyone was able to make it. Good week to come. We're starting a new series today. We were in a series on the book of James forever. It was so much fun, but it was a long time. I read the book of James, like I swear, 200 times. So a little bit fun to get into something new. If you were here last week, I told you what it was going to be, but we're starting a series on apologetics, all right? And that does not mean we're going to learn how to apologize. I hope that you're already pretty good at that, okay? Apologetics normally means defending your faith, okay? So obviously the last series was a verse-by-verse study, so we went through massive amounts of scripture for a long period of time, okay? So this series is gonna be very different because it's going to be defending our faith, which means that we're not going to necessarily be using scripture, okay? So just to let you guys know what it's gonna look like, you can't get mad at me because I'm not reading enough verses because we wanna make sure that we are Christians because it's actually true, all right? So I've mentioned this before, but I've asked a lot of people this question, why are you a Christian? Or why do you believe that there is a God? Or why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I've asked a lot of people that question. I'm asking you as well, metaphorically, please don't scream out, that'd be awkward, all right? So just answer in your own head, why do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Like that song was saying, I believe it's true, why? I've asked so many people, and normally the answer is whether or not they want to say it or not. Well, my parents were Christians. My parents brought me to church, or I get the, um, well, I've felt God move before. You know, I've seen some of the things that he's done. And I just imagine if um, a Muslim came up to you and was arguing um, the existence of Allah, and he said, well, I've felt his presence before. I wonder, would that be enough for you to reject the Christian God and to convert to Muslim? Or however you would pronounce that religion. (laughs) All right, would it be enough for you? And I wonder if it's not enough for you, then why would it be enough for him to convert? Why would it be enough for him to become a Christian just based off of the fact that you are saying it's true? So I find this from time to time that many times we come to our beliefs solely based off of what our parents have said or based off of what um, we might have heard as a child or maybe based off of what makes us feel good. We went to a church and we heard that we can live a happier life, so that sounds good to me. You know, but I don't know about you, but I want to believe based on truth, not based off of just feeling, all right? Because there's difference, there's a difference between belief in and belief that of, all right? So I can believe that an elevator works, but I don't put my belief in the elevator until I actually step into the elevator and trust that it's going to carry me upwards. That's why James says, whenever we went through the long study, that's why James says, even the demons believe that there is a God, but they don't put their faith 
into the God, all right? Makes sense? So that's kind of the difference. So today we're gonna to be talking about apologetics step one. And I titled it that because I didn't wanna title it the cosmological argument and the teleological argument. I thought I might lose you, all right? So we're just gonna title it apologetics step one and we're first going to talk about the uh, cosmological argument, which is kind of the argument that there was a beginning. All right, so I'm going to read a quote by Albert Einstein, then we're going to get started. Albert Einstein says that science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. I can't tell you how many times as a child I was invited into blind faith. They never told me the facts behind the elevator, the facts on how much weight it could carry, on how much it's actually true, they just told me that there's this magical floating box and I should jump inside. And the truth is, if you actually want to convince someone about the truth of an elevator, you shouldn't just call it a magical box and tell them to jump inside. You should explain it to them a little bit better. So that's hopefully what we're going to do today. I wish you had someone more intelligent up here to do that for you, but here we are. We're stuck with me. So we're gonna do the best that we can do. So the question is, what better explains reality? Is it theism, which is the belief that there's one God, right? Is, there, is it theism or atheism? Because today in step one, we are only talking about the idea that there is a theistic God, all right? We're not gonna talk about the Christian God. We might get into that next week. I haven't really planned it out. This is a lot of work, guys. Just bear with me, okay? So this week, we are just going to talk about the idea that there is a God, not that there is a Christian God. So we're going to look at a number of effects and then reason from effect to cause, right? Because if there's an effect, then there was a cause. If I walk out of my room and Benaya grab the powder and there's powder all over the room, I know, okay, that's the effect. The cause was either Wrangler because he's extremely annoying or the cause was my son. Now the question is, we have to reason to figure out which cause caused the effect. I don't walk in and go, wow, the powder has randomly combusted. It has spread everywhere and there is no cause. There's always a cause to the effect. So we're gonna start with the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument is just a really big word and it just means the argument about the beginning of the universe, right? That's easy, okay? So we're just gonna talk about the beginning of the universe. We're gonna start back with Albert Einstein way back in 1916. That's like so long ago, can't even fathom it, but we're gonna to try to stay on pace, okay? So way back in 1916, Albert Einstein's theory was leading him towards a direction that he didn't like, right? His calculations were leading him towards a direction that he did not like. In his theory of general relativity, if it was true, it meant that the universe was not eternal, that it must have had a beginning. That's what Part of the theory of general relativity is all, that all space, matter, and time had a beginning. Einstein later called his discovery, quote unquote, irritating. <laughs> One of the greatest discoveries in the scientific world, he called, quote unquote, irritating because it flew in the face of what he thought to be true, that the universe was static and eternal. The reason why this was so irritating is because he had a view of how we all got here. 
He had a view of how this universe came into existence, and the view was that it has always been. And whenever he started doing all these calculations to lead him towards the theory of general relativity, it started to prove that there was, in fact, a beginning that all space, that all time, and all matter came into existence. Um, the cosmologist Eddington, who later proved Einstein's theory even further, was quoted saying this, a beginning is extremely distasteful to me. I should like to find a genuine loophole. These are some of the people that are getting um, like Nobel prizes for the things that they're discovering, and they're upset about it. <laughs> this is when you actually discover things that you did not believe beforehand. It's not like they had a bias towards these things. Like They were discovering things that they actually had problems with, but it was actually true. Okay? So... I know we're a bunch of Christians in the room, probably, most likely, so let's just make sure we are all on the same page, because you look at me like we are in math class, and I am sorry. All right, we're going to, I'm going to do my best here, but again, like Peter told us in 1 Peter, we have to have a reason for our faith. We're meant to be able to give a reason, an honorable and gracious reason, okay? And the way we start is with the beginning. All right, so the options are the steady state universe. This is what Albert Einstein used to believe in, and the steady state universe is the belief that the universe is eternal. Can you guys wrap your mind around that? The other view, which has gained a little bit of popularity as of late, is the multiverse. Won't explain it that much because if you watch Doctor Strange, you probably know what it is, right? All right, so moving on from the multiverse, the third one is the Big Bang Theory. And I cannot tell you how many groups of Christians I have been in that have said, we don't believe in the Big Bang Theory because there's no way that a bang was the cause. No one's laughing. All right. And the reason why that's so funny is because the Big Bang Theory is not the theory that it was the cause. The Big Bang Theory means that all space, matter, and time had a beginning at the Big Bang. All right. So the option is steady state universe, which means that the universe is eternal. The Big Bang Theory means that there was a cause which created everything. The Big Bang Theory doesn't state what the cause was. It just states that there was a cause. All right, so are you ready for this? Not to step on your toes. If you are a Christian, you agree with the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> all right, because the Big Bang Theory states that all space, matter, and time had a beginning. That means whatever created space, matter, and time, Matt's like, I'm out. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I am not for the Big Bang Theory, and I'm out of this place. <laughs> Front row just got out. He's done with this. Done. All right, that's essentially what it means, right? So the Big Bang Theory is a sudden explosive expansion that ballooned our universe outwards faster than the speed of light. This was a period of cosmic inflation that lasted mere fractions of a second. Have you ever seen those videos where they take like a vase? That's like what fancy people say, a vase or a jar, and they drop it, <laughs> right? I've heard fancy people say that. It, it hits the ground and like it explodes, and then they like rewind it and it sucks back up. Have you guys seen those videos? So the Big Bang is kind of like this moment where such a small fraction of a second, something happened. 
All right, we're not talking about what it was, but something happened, mere fractions of a second, that the entire ex universe exploded from a single point. It went so rapidly that we're going to talk about it in a little bit that we will not be able to wrap our minds around it. But that's essentially what the Big Bang is. Now, what banged it is beside the point, all right? We're going to get into that a little bit later, but Stephen Hawking put it like this. Stephen Hawking said, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. All right, again, so that's, that theory is just stating that there was a beginning. It's not stating what created the beginning. All right, now Hawking's tried to come up with um, other reasons what could have created it. I think he failed. He never really stated or stood on one particular point. He was looking for some different options, but the point was everyone agreed that there was, in fact, a beginning. Alexander Vilenkin put it this way, with the proof now in place, cosmologists know those that is not makeup artists, just to be clear, all right? I know the group of people we have in here, we're not talking about makeup artists, okay? With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. That's the steady state universe. There is now no escape. They have to face the problem with a cosmic beginning. They have to face the problem. Now, why is that a problem? Because here's your options. Are you ready? Either no one created something out of nothing or someone created something out of nothing. All right, those are your options. Now, the question is, what is more reasonable? Because we want to know whether or not an atheistic view, come to church, I might talk you into atheism, right? We want to know if an atheistic worldview is better or a theistic worldview is better. Now, what is more likely? Either no one created something out of nothing or someone created something out of nothing. But here's the catch. Whatever created something had to be timeless, spaceless and immaterial, all right? Because whatever created space, matter, and time can't be made of space, matter, and time. So it has to be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. So whatever this unseen cause, or as Aristotle puts it, the immovable mover, whatever that might be, has to be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. So that's what it is that we are looking for, all right? So what is more reasonable? So we're gonna add to some more evidence for the beginning now that all of you guys are huge fans of the Big Bang Theory. You're gonna go get T-shirts, order them on Amazon because you're Christians, who knew, right? <laughs> My mom's still against it. She's like, don't you watch that show, boy. Don't you watch Big Bang Theory. And I'm like, mom, I told you, it's not like that. They're not saying it's the bang. And she's like, don't turn it on, don't look at it. So I hope I'm able to convince you more than I'm able to convince my mom. It's a rough, rough, rough thing. Okay, so to add some more evidence to the, um, to the stack for the beginning, we're going to talk about the first and second law of thermodynamics, right? Fun stuff, guys. You came from a good week. All right, so the, the study of thermodynamics is the study of two things. Anyone know? Study of thermodynamics? Um, can tell that everyone's, oh, wait, what? Study of thermal and dynamics. Study of thermal dynamics, no. 
I was going to say no wrong answers, but that's a, that's a wrong answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, the, thir- the study of thermodynamics is a study of matter and energy. All right, so we're going to talk about matter and energy. So I'm going to simplify these first two laws like down to Cori standards. Okay, so are you ready? This is Cori standards. The first law of thermodynamics says that there's only a finite amount of energy. All right, and in Corey's brain, we're going to picture it in a truck, okay? Because trucks are sent by God. All right, so the, the tank on the truck, the gas tank on the truck is only so large. It can only hold so much amount of gas. Let's not even talk about how big the truck is, how small the truck is. The point is there's only a finite amount of fuel that the truck can hold. So the first law of thermodynamics states that there's only a finite amount of energy. It's not an infinite amount of energy. It's not an infinite amount of fuel in the truck. Although we wish it is because gas out there like $4 a gallon, all right? We can't live like this much longer, okay? So I would love some infinite fuel hack, but as for now, there's only a finite amount of fuel in the vehicle. All right, second law of thermodynamics states that the universe is running out of usable energy. With each passing moment, the amount of usable energy grows smaller and smaller. It's kind of depressing when you think about it, but that's pretty much what the second law states. So if you think about it in terms of the truck, we don't know how big the tank is, but we know that there was a finite amount and that the fuel is slowly running out, has been and always will be until it hits empty. Again, I feel like it's slightly depressing, but here we are. You can't just run up to Shell in the universe and fill it back up with energy. Only a finite amount. Now, why does this point towards a beginning? Because if the universe was eternal, if it was the steady state, then it wouldn't be running out, all right? It would be eternal. It would be stagnant. And this is why Einstein quoted it as um, irritating, because now he knew when he saw that the universe was actually running out, and that's kind of interesting, but he made this travel to the Hubble Space Center and all this interesting thing when they got the telescope, and you guys can look into that later. But he found it very irritating because he knew that his study, his theory was actually correct, that he had to deal with a beginning. So as Stephen Hawking said, almost all cosmologists are in an agreement that they have to deal with the problem of a cosmic beginning. The theory of general relativity, again, points towards a beginning, and even the first and second law of thermodynamics points towards a beginning. All right, so this is the question that you should have with people when you run into your friends or your family or maybe some coworkers that are completely against the idea of a theistic God. You should ask them, how did we come to be? How do you think this universe got to be here? Because nine out of 10 times people normally make the statement, well, it's probably just always been here. And that's when you can talk to them about what Stephen Hawking said. And that's when you can tell them about the first and second law of thermodynamics. And you can say, are you sure? Because it seems as though everything is pointing towards a cosmic beginning. So if something created something out of nothing, what do you think that something was? Who do you think it was? Because it had to be timeless, had to be immaterial, had to be spaceless. I mean, what could have been that 
unseen cause? What could have been that unmovable mover? And again, we're supposed to talk to people with honor and grace, and you should allow them to give them their side of the argument, because chances are, just like Christians have never thought about why they believe in God, chances are atheists have never truly thought about why they don't believe in God. Nine out of 10 times, atheists don't believe in God because um, the problem of evil or because bad things happen. And we're going to get into that probably in like step two or three. Um, We'll talk about why bad things happen and all that and why it points towards God. Um, But as for now, we just are focusing on the universe. And the question is, how did we get here? How did something get created out of nothing? All right, so that's kind of the basis of the cosmological argument. I only picked kind of the basic two. There's like another like 15 points that you could go down. It's really deep. Honestly, I feel like if you stay with these two points, most people will be convinced. I just went like Corey level deep. You can go way deeper and like blow your mind on some of the intricacies of the cosmological argument. But now we're going to move on to the teleological argument. Sorry, guys, doesn't stand for telephone, and we're not going to talk about iPhones or social media or anything. I know that would be fun. All right, so teleological argument kind of goes like this. Every design has a designer. The universe has extremely complex design. Therefore, the universe must have a designer. See, that's not very complex, right? (laughs) Whatever is designed must have a designer. Read a quote by Sir Isaac Newton. You guys heard of him, right? Sweet. All right. Sir Isaac Newton put it this way. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Again, when someone claims that this came into existence out of nothing, by nothing, you should ask them, well, Sir Isaac Newton would disagree he would claim that something had to have created something out of nothing. All right, so the teleological argument is really just getting into um, kind of the fine-tuning of the universe, how specific things are placed in order for us to live. Do you guys know the probability of us finding another planet that supports life? Never mind whether or not we could actually get to that planet, which we can't because we'd have to be able to live like a billion years just to travel outside of our galaxy. But do you know the chances of actually finding another planet? I read some cosmologists that actually did a study on it. Can't even wrap my head around his literal like little bullet point of what he found. But the chances of us finding another planet that supports life is one out of 110 to the 138th power. That is one with 138 zeros after it. I had no idea what on God's earth that meant, but the point is, he kind of gave a little example. If you were to take not America, not our continent, but the entire earth, if you were to cover every square foot of our earth in golf balls, all right, can you picture our entire earth covered in golf balls every square foot, but get this, 61 feet high of all white golf balls. In that entire crazy amount of golf balls, there is one red golf ball. 
the chances of you finding that one red golf ball and the 61 feet of golf balls ranging across our entire planet are the chances of you finding another planet that would support human life. That is how finely tuned our planet is to support human life. Even the oxygen levels are precisely set to the percentage. If you were to drop oxygen levels by 3%, we would all suffocate and die. If you were to raise oxygen levels by 5%, there would be random fires that would combust all around the planet and burn it up. Oxygen levels were set to such a precise reading that we can leave, live, and breathe. The way that the planets are placed, where Jupiter is placed, if Jupiter was moved over just a few feet, we would be destroyed by meteors every single year. The placement of Jupiter and Saturn protects us by the, by the meteorites and the, and the things that are moving around in space. If they were just to move over, if we were to move over, if the tilt of the Earth was to move just a tiny bit, if the Earth's crust was just a tiny bit thinner, the Earth itself would explode. Like there's unbelievable amounts of fine-tuning that went into our universe and that went into our planet. Stephen Hawking's again put it this way, He's talking about the expansion rate of the universe. So think about that vase hitting the ground and exploding. He said, if the expansion rate of the universe was different by one part and a thousand million million of a second after the Big Bang, the universe would have collapsed back on itself and never developed galaxies. That's how precise the expansion rate is. Now, I'm a Christian, so I think at that moment was the breath of God when he spoke existence into being. That's how precise and intelligent that being must, must have been. Not only was it timeless, spaceless, and immaterial, but it also had to be powerful in order to create a vast universe. And it also had to be intelligent in order to fine tune it in the way that it is. So meaning we are looking for a being that is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, has to be powerful, and it has to be intelligent. Now, what do you think of when you think of a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and intelligent being? The chances are it's probably closer to God and probably farther away from nothing. <laughs> Aristotle said, do you know what nothing is? Nothing is what rocks dream about. <laughs> I'm like, I never thought I would need an example to wrap my head around nothing, but that helped. <laughs> Aristotle said that nothing is what rocks dream about. So we're talking about the teleological argument. Like I said, those are a whole bunch of different arguments, fine-tuning that you can get into all about how our bodies work, how the galaxy works. I picked two things that I thought were cool that I figured we would talk about. One of them is the gravitational force, and one of them is the weight of the universe, right? So we're going to tackle the gravitational force, right? If the gravitational force were altered by more than one part in 10 to the 40th power, the sun would not exist and the moon would crash into the earth and shear off into space. Now, again, right now we're talking about 10 to the 40th power. Remember, just a little bit ago when we were talking about the probability of finding another planet that was survivable, that was 138. <laughs> All right, so right now we're, we're dealing with 10 and 40 zeros on the end. Still very difficult to wrap our head around, right? All right, so let's give an example to help us wrap our mind around 10 to the 40th power. Imagine you have a tape measure. 
I can't imagine it because I swear those things disappear everywhere. I have like 10 of those in my garage. I can still never find one, all right? I need like 15. All right, but imagine you have a tape measure and imagine you stretch it across the entire diameter of the earth. I think we got a picture of it. Yes, all right, so the entire diameter of the earth is 7,917 miles. For today, that's like nothing, all right? Like we are talking about way bigger numbers than that, but that's the diameter of the earth not gonna do, okay? So now let's go ahead and stretch the tape measure from our earth all the way to the sun. That is 93 million miles. Wendy, wrong one, but that's okay. She was supposed to put that number on the other thing. All right, here we go. That's okay. Other thing, other picture. There we go. Pretend it says 93 million miles. All right, so there it goes. So it says 93 million miles. That would be a tape measure stretched from our earth to the sun. That is nothing, like absolutely nothing, all right? I don't even know how to explain this to you, but now imagine the tape measure is stretched across our entire universe. That is 98 billion light years. I don't even know what a light year is, guys. <laughs> like, like, that is how big a light year is. I was looking at the examples of how to describe it to you guys, and I was like, let's just forget it, all right? <laughs> 98 billion light years. That is how far our universe is, all right? Now imagine all of those inches, 98 billion light years. If you were sub to subtract one inch from that tape measure, we would cease to exist. That is how finely tuned and intelligent the being was that created this earth. Now the question is, did that happen by accident? Because people claim that you have to have blind faith in order to believe in a creator. Yes, I have to choose to put my faith in the elevator, but I believe the most intelligent thing is to put my faith in the elevator, all right? Because I don't have enough faith to believe that that happened by accident. I don't have enough faith to believe that it happened by accident. All right, talk about my second and last example for the teleological argument. I'm not going to talk for long, guys. I see your faces, but hopefully you're getting the point. There's a beginning. This is all a very long point to make sure you know there was a beginning. So we're going to talk about the weight of the universe, all right? And in order to do this, again, the numbers were so, so large, all right? I found some examples that made people like me be able to understand it just a little bit better, all right? So I want you to imagine that there is an aircraft carrier, all right? This is what an aircraft carrier looks like, but um, all right? So that is 110,000 tons. You got the length of three football fields on top of there. It can house over like 15,000 people on there. That thing can hold a lot of weight and somehow it floats. Like, people are so smart. Like, I see a water bottle float, and I'm like, wow, that's cool, you know? And then this thing's floating. Like, I don't know how they do that. But anyway, 110,000 tons, and it floats, all right? Now, imagine that our universe was this ship, okay? Can you picture that for a second? Our whole universe is this boat, 110,000 
thousand tons. And we're doing this because the weight of the universe is too heavy for us to wrap our head around, okay? So the weight of the universe is 110,000 tons, all right? If you were to change the weight by less than a trillion, can we wrap our head around a trillion? I would like to try with some money, though. <laughs> if you were to change the weight by less than a trillion of the weight of an electron, it would be uninhabitable, and it would combust the universe. Okay, does anyone know what an electron is? <laughs> okay, so maybe you can understand what a pound is. Maybe you can understand what an ounce is. Anyone know what a gram is? Anyone actually weigh their chicken breast? Okay, so, so let's imagine we have a gram, right? Almost impossible just to tell it's in your hand, right? A gram is very light. Now imagine we take that gram and we're going to split it up. This is how many pieces we're gonna split that gram into. 90 octillion. <laughs> We are going to take that gram and we're going to split it into 90 octillion pieces. That is 27 zeros, all right? 90 octillion pieces of that gram. We're going to grab one of those pieces, okay? Then we are going to split that piece into a trillion pieces. Then we're going to grab one of those pieces and we are going to subtract it from the aircraft carrier. And that slight difference in weight would cause the entire universe to collapse back on itself. Now the question is, is it by chance that the weight was set to that precise measurement that you and I are able to exist on this planet? Is it all by chance? And the greatest argument for this, again, is the multiverse. This kid loves the, the ship analogy. I hope you guys are enjoying it. All right, so, so the greatest argument is the multiverse. And the reason why it's a good argument is because they claim that the reason why things are set to this precise um, measurement is because there's a billion universes. And in this universe, Hitler's bad and Mother Teresa is good. But in the other universe, Mother Teresa's bad and Hitler's good. Um, so we just happen to be in the one universe where everything worked out. This is the problem. No one has ever found another universe. There's no factual evidence for another universe. It's only speculation. And in my opinion, I just don't have enough faith to believe that there's other universes. I believe it's much more reasonable, it's much more intelligent to believe that whatever caused the first cause, we know it has to be powerful, intelligent, timeless, immaterial. We know it has to be spaceless. I just believe that it's more likely that it was something that we would refer to as a God. And the question would be, has that God ever showed his face throughout the existence of the earth in any other places? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. The point is, this took an extremely, extremely intelligent being. Because intelligence doesn't just happen by accident, all right? If you were walking along the beach and you saw Jack Loves Mary written in the sand, what are your thoughts? Wow, look at how the waves made that message. That is crazy. 
Or maybe you're like thinking, man, did, did you see the way that the seagulls were messing around in the sand? They wrote, Jack loves Mary. That is awesome. Anyone understands that when they see a message that it had to be written by a messenger, probably Jack, maybe Mary. If she had some friends over, she wanted to look like they had a good relationship, maybe Mary wrote it, all right? <laughs> we don't know. It was either Jack or Mary, but the point is it took an intelligent being. And yet, it's only a few letters long. And there are so many messages. If we just take our DNA, for instance, we're not just looking at a few characters like Jack Loves Mary. We're looking at 3.5 billion characters. At the moment of conception, when your dad sent the entire population of the United States at your mother's egg, all right, at that moment... <laughs> Literally, entire population, and they say you're not good at anything. You outbeat all of those people, all right? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And I'm questioning it. I watch some of you walk in, and I'm like, really? They were the winner? You know, it is, it is slightly surprising, but you are, all right? So if you've never wanted anything, you at least wanted that, all right? You beat out the entire population of the United States. Congratulations, all right? And at that moment, at that moment of conception, your DNA was created 3.5 billion characters long, all put in the right order, or at least it looks like it judging off of your faces today, all right? All of them put in precise order, and that code has not changed from the moment of conception. From that singular moment, that genetic code that was original to just you was created at that exact moment moment. And the point is, when we see a message, we don't go, well, maybe the seagulls did it. No, no, no. We understand that it was created by an intelligent being. We understand that the message was written by a messenger. And DNA is so much more complex than Jack loves Mary, all right? Bill Gates talks about how, how DNA is more complicated, more advanced, and more complex than any computer software that has ever been written. But yet when we see computer software, we know it was engineered by a software writer. When we see a novel, we know that it was written by someone that created the novel. We don't pick up a book and go, wow, look at how it just combusted into the air. We understand that an intelligent being had to write it. And we understand that intelligent things don't happen by accident. That's why all of Matt's friends, whenever they point these satellites out into, this, into space and they're looking for extraterrestrial activity, you know, all the people that Matt loves, and, and they're waiting to hear, are, is there intelligent life out there? Is there intelligent life out there? What are they looking for? They are looking for something that was written. They're looking for a message. I'll read you what they're actually looking for because I sure can't remember it. If we get a certain pattern, we will know that there's intelligent life out there because natural laws themselves don't create what is known as specialized complexity, which is also known as a message. So we're looking for specialized complexity because we know as humans, when we see specialized complexity, it means there was intelligent life. So the question is, could specialized complexity such as DNA be created by accident? Because if we see specialized complexity out in the environment, we're finally getting into Area 51. 
all right? Because we know there is some type of intelligent life. And that is the question of what's going on when it comes to our universe. So you should ask questions whenever you have people like coworkers, friends, family, again, practical ways of speaking. Whenever kids go off to college, Christian kids, they are 60% likely to reject their faith when they leave. It's very easy for people to be talked out of Christianity, and it's because they were never talked into it. They're believers because their parents were. They were dragged to church, and they think that there's a God, and they go, okay, that sounds good, and it doesn't take much to talk them out of it. That's why it's important to have conversation, and it starts with step one of apologetics, that there was, in fact, a beginning. There was, in fact, a beginning. So you need to ask people, have an open conversation with them. How do you think the earth came into existence? How do you think we have this amazingly complex universe? How do you think it was finely tuned in exact, the exact same way that we can be able to live on the planet? How was the gravitational force set? How was oxygen levels set? You need to have those conversations with people. Ray Comfort does it a lot on YouTube, if you guys check him out. He will talk to people on the street that completely claim to be atheists, and they'll start out by claiming that, well, the universe has just always been here. And he'll start out super basic and go, so you're saying that, some, that nothing created something. And within like five minutes, they're like, you know what? I don't believe in that. I, there probably is a God somewhere. And it's like people that have been claiming atheism for like 15 years, like 10 minutes later, they're like, yeah, you're right. That's kind of ridiculous. Like they completely changed their mind. And the reason why there's so many people around us that completely reject the idea of a God, again, we're not talking about the Christian God. I think it was Isaac Newton that claimed that the universe itself was a God. He still had a theistic view, but the point was he wasn't pointing towards a Christian theistic worldview that you and I might have. But that is step one, is to get people to understand that there had to have been something that created from nothing. Because nothing is what rocks dream about, all right? So how did we get the something? I'll end with a quote and a verse because it's church, and then we're going to go. All right, sound good? So Nobel Prize winner Arno Piesa put it this way. Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing and delicately balanced to provide the exact conditions required to support life. In the abundance of an absolutely improbable accident, the observations of modern science seem to suggest an underlining, one might say, supernatural plan. Because either someone created something out of nothing or no one created something out of nothing. They're both miracles. All right, so whichever one you believe in, you still believe in a miracle. The question is, which miracle do you believe in and which one is more likely? The psalmist put it this way in chapter 19. He said, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. That's why it's so interesting to look at the complexity of these things because this is what displays the craftsmanship of God. This is what displays his intelligence. 
And honestly, you know, a lot of people talk about why was the universe created so vast when we could never even travel to the distance? We could never even get out of our own galaxy, never mind get into all of the other ones. And I honestly just think it was like God flexing. Like, look at what I can create. Look at the expansion rate that I can make. And a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around how God had no beginning. And part of the reason why you can't wrap your mind around it is that he he existed before he created time, right? Space, matter, and time all came into existence at one singular moment, and he existed before it. The tank is infinite when it comes to God. There is no beginning and there is no end. There has to be one steady state being. It's either the universe, it's God, or it's some other theory, but you have to believe in one of them. And the question is, which one is more reasonable? All right, thank you guys. Hope you had a good time. Um, Come back next week. We're going to get into a lot of stuff. Haven't even planned next week. But um, we'll see what happens. Again, we're going to deal with problem of evil, why bad things happen to good people. Going to deal with the moral argument. We're going to talk about, is scripture true? Why can we trust it? Why should we read it? Is the Christian God this theistic God, or is it Allah or someone else? We're going to get into all that stuff because I hear so many Christians that have been Christians for a long time. They deal with the problem, why I've only tried Christianity. How can I say without a shadow of a doubt that this religion is true and all the others are false? So we're going to get into all those types of questions with apologetics, step two, three, four, and I have no idea how many steps we're going to go to, but we're going to check it out. Maybe 50. Here we go. All right, so thank you guys for coming. Definitely not 50. I don't get paid enough. All right, so we're going to pray, and then we're going to go, okay? So God, thank you for the honor and privilege to study the magnificent universe that you created. I ask that you will just work inside of our hearts and minds that we will no longer just have blind faith, but we will see that you are a true factual being that we have good reason to put our faith in. God, we want to put our faith in you. We want our friends, our family members to put their faith in you. Will you please bless our hearts and our minds to be able to witness to the people around us to share true truth. In your name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.